In the early morning hours of Monday, December 14, 2020, Lisa and Kent Landry received a phone call from the Texas Highway Patrol. It was the call that every parent dreads, the one that just makes your heart stop. The police had found their son's vehicle crashed off a dirt road in Luling, Texas. The car was still running and the lights were on, but nobody was inside the vehicle. Where was their son Jason and what happened to him? These are two questions that Jason's family, Texas law enforcement, and now you, dear Gremlin, will be left asking. I'm Colby. I'm joined by my two best friends, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. So to our listeners, it doesn't feel like we've missed any time, but we all took a little bit of a break from recording for the holidays. So it's been about two weeks since our last Grim recording. Forever. And we had to rock out during the theme song, obviously. Yeah. Very hard this time. I think Laura's bones were audible during it. They were so (laughs) creaky. I'm surprised I didn't herniate a disc. (laughs) (laughs) I got my chicken wings going. It's really the only way I know how to dance. So happy new year to oh, yeah. both of you and to all of our listeners. It is now officially 2023. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. And as usual, we've got some Patreon shout outs to start our episode off. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. We actually have six to get through. So brace yourself, ladies. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I, know, was I got very so musical. <laughs> the spirit moved me. All right. Was it your spirit knees? <laughs> Were you, were you doing the, what is the Charlton? <laughs> your spirit With my spirit knees. Knees. <laughs> Let, Let's see if you can keep that movement going for Margaret G. Woo! Yeah, Margaret! Yeah, Margaret. Woo! We, we love, love you. you. <laughs> All right, next up, we got Jessica A. Yes, Thank you, Jessica. Oh, we love, love you. you. We love you. All right, next, and someone holding a special place in one of our hearts, actually, just kidding, all of our hearts, we've got Lisa R. Woo, Lisa! Yeah, Lisa! We love you. Way to be my sister. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who the special one was. <laughs> all right, next up, we have John E. John, yeah, John e. Woo, Thank you, John, we love you. Next, we have Katie T. Woohoo! Katie, yeah, Katie, Katie T. Woo. Katie T. Katie T. We like Mr. saying that. Katie T. Katie T. Woohoo, we love you. All right, and last but certainly not least, we have Andrew P. Yeah, Andrew! And shout out, special shout out to Andrew for not only joining his Patreon, but immediately joining the Discord and making a presence known. We love it. We love your energy. We We love love you, Andrew. Thank you, thank you. Woo! All right, so today's episode was inspired by an interesting true crime trend that I have observed. Men in their late teens or early 20s who disappear after driving alone in their cars. I think most people have likely heard of Bryceless Pisa. Maybe some are familiar with Brandon Swanson or even Daniel Robinson. I honestly could make a little grim miniseries called Riding in Cars with Boys. Don't do it or just don't go it alone. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe there'll be other episodes. Who knows? But we'll pea save. <laughs> yeah. Do a pea pony. <laughs> we'll save those gentlemen for another day, whether it's a regular episode or a pea pony, a.k.a. a Patreon bonus episode. <laughs> Today we're here to talk about Jason Landry. I got most of my information from an episode of Disappeared on Investigation Discovery. They did a ton of research and they had exclusive interviews with family members and authorities, so it was an excellent source. I also listened to an episode of The Vanished Podcast. Shout out, you guys did a great job. And I watched some coverage from the local Houston area news stations. 
So yes, we are going to be in Texas for this episode. And before we jump in, there's one more source that I want to shout out, and it's actually a Facebook page that Jason's parents maintain. We'll talk Mm. more about it later, Um, but it's called Missing Person Jason Landry, and they post a lot out there, and I got a lot of my info about Jason as a person Mm. from there. I like that. So shall we? We shall. I'm I'm resisting the urge, but clearly not actually resisting it because I'm going to say it anyway, uh, to ask you if this is uh, solved or unsolved. But I'm guessing by the fact that they have a Facebook page that is missing person that this is a Colby special. This is a Colby special. Jason Landry is still missing. Mm. We do not know what happened to him. So spoiler alert, you guys are going to be mad at me. But if you're like Laura and you just get it over with up front, (laughs) I promise you, you'll come along for the ride with us today. Because then I don't go through the whole thing with hope. Yes. You know, I just, I don't want it crushed. I can just be crushed from the start. Yes. Well, and you know what, though? The reason we talk about cases like this, though, are so people can hear about it and they can continue to stay in the news cycle. And who knows, maybe somebody out there will listen to our podcast, any of the other podcasts that have covered Jason's case, and maybe somebody will come forward with some information. So you love to hate us, the ones that do the missing episodes, (laughs) but we serve a niche need out there. Yes. I'm pretty mad about it. Yep. When you tell me, I'll be mad. And then after the fact, I'll be post-mad. Is that like post-Malone? Yes. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to okay. get face tattoos, <laughs> and I'm never going to be the Always same. Always tired. <laughs> That's actually what he has tattooed I on was just going to ask that because that would be appropriate for me. I feel that. <laughs> the bags under my eyes actually say that. I don't need text on my face to say that as well. Um, I, I, too, am always tired posty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... And this is actually, you know what, this is a more recent case. We haven't done a ton of these. I know we did the Delphi case, um, but this is, we're only going back a couple years to December of 2020, December 13th to be specific, when 21-year-old Jason Landry was wrapping up his first semester at Texas State University. He started the night off alone in his college apartment. His two roommates had already gone home for winter break. He had made some plans to play Call of Duty with some of his friends online, and he FaceTimed his longtime friend Jack Frank just to chat. For whatever reason, Jason decided he wanted to drive back to his parents' house in Missouri City, Texas that night, instead of just waiting until, you know, daylight the following morning. Mm -hmm. There really wasn't any reason for him to rush home, but it would be the first time that he and his two siblings were in the same state under the same roof for quite some time. Mm. His brother, Kyle, was 18 months older than him and went to a different school in Texas, and his sister, Jessica, had already graduated from college and was living in Chicago. He and his siblings had always been really close, and he was looking forward to spending some time with them. So I get it. He was just itching to start his break with the people that he loved. I also suffer from the need for instant gratification. So as soon as the thought entered my head, oh, I should go home right now, I'd be on the road. So so, so you're kind of vibing with Jason's thought yeah, process? Okay. I get it. I get That's it. That's not going to last very long for oh, Laura specifically. Oh no. oh, no. Because at 10.55 p.m., Jason got in his 2003 Nissan Altima and left his apartment and started the two and a half to three hour drive from San Marcos, Texas to his parents' house in Missouri City. Alora went to bed three hours before (laughs) that. I also recognize that some of our listeners are probably having a similar reaction to Laura right now where they're like, oh my gosh, they're leaving at almost 11 p.m. But let's not forget, he's a Mm 21-year-old college student. And a lot of the time you're in college, you're not even going out until 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And like you're invincible when you're that age. So it doesn't really matter. Totally not out of the norm for him. Yep. I remember when my sister was in college in Rhode Island, I drove the two and a half hours up there. And then I was texting my friend who's like, oh, I wish I knew because, like, I would have come to the party. I was like, 
Don't mind me. I'll come get you. Drove the two and a half hours back (laughs) to where we live. Then the two and a half hours back to the college in Rhode Island. Now, if I have to go 25 (laughs) minutes, I'm like, this is a burden. This is a burden on me. I said the other day, I was like, man, I wish there was a Trader Joe's closer, close by. And my husband was like, I think it's only like 20 minutes. I was like, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's too far. It's too far. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm over there driving like eight hours. Yep. In one day. Crazy. On a random Saturday. You know what? Mm -hmm. Gas was cheaper too. Yeah. So that must have been why Mm -hmm. it was fun back then. Not that we were youthful and had better eyesight and could sit still that long without it hurting our bodies physically. It was the gas price. <laughs> I'm crying laughing because it's true. <laughs> don't don't get old. <laughs> All right. So this was only going to be the second time that Jason would be making this drive. So he still needed to rely on directions from Waze to navigate to his parents' house. He didn't check MapQuest? No. Um, I would say that Jason was like a bit more up on the times oh, than wow. Marina would wow. be. Okay. Listen. You know, he was in college. Looking at the route that Jason took using Waze or Google Maps, <laughs> not MapQuest, you would need to take Highway 80 to Luling, where you would cross over through town, if you could really call it that, to I-10. And then it was pretty much just smooth sailing down the interstate until you'd reach his parents' house. So really not all that complicated of a drive. I would say the most complicated part was in the first 30 minutes mm-hmm. of the drive to get to like the main highway that you'd ride all the way there. Looking at Jason's cell phone records, we can put together a timeline of his trip, and it does show that he was on the correct route to his parents' house. So remember, he left his apartment at 10.55 p.m. At 11.07, Jason was driving south on Highway 80, entering Caldwell County. We know this because when you're using an application like Waze for navigation purposes, it's constantly pinging and reporting out on your location. I think Waze pings like every 10 seconds or something. Um, But just for the purpose of the case, we're going to spread it out and go like every 10-ish minutes for Mm -hmm. the updates here. (laughs) Would be very detailed if we did every 10 seconds. actually a three-hour episode. (laughs) Yes. Um, At 11.15, we can see that Jason is still on Highway 80, so he's still on track headed towards Missouri City. At 11.24, Jason enters Luling, Texas, the town that he needs to cross through to get over to I-10. At 11.31, when Jason's about a block away from the intersection he'd normally need to turn off at for I-10, he received a Snapchat from his ex-girlfriend, who was still on good terms with him. He switched over from Waze to Snapchat, presumably to look at the Snapchat. Um, I will say I don't know what the photo or video was. No details have been released, but knowing that the two were on good terms, I'm assuming the content of the video is irrelevant to the situation at hand. But either way, the point is he switched out of Waze, so it was no longer the active application on his phone, and over to Snapchat, and he never opened Waze back up again. So this is actually where Jason's digital footprint ends for the (sighs) evening. It is so haunting to me to listen to you describe the app and what he was doing mm-hmm. and switching back and forth because it's almost like a snapshot mm-hmm. into their final moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's weird. Haunted. It's creepy. Yeah. Super creepy. Very creepy. And Snapchat, again, it is an app on the phone. It does ping your location, but it's not a navigation app. So it's not pinging your location as frequently as something like a navigation app would. So either way, the last known digital footprint we have on Jason is 1131, where he would have been around that intersection. So we kind of just have to assume that he missed his turn. We don't know why, but we know that he didn't make the right-hand turn that he would have needed to make to get over to I-10, and instead he continued straight through the intersection. An hour later, so now we're talking 1231 a.m., a volunteer firefighter driving down Salt Flat Road on his way home from work spotted an abandoned car off the road. 
He pulled over and he took a look around. He noticed the car was running, the lights were on, and there was some clothing in the road. There were no signs of the driver. He phoned dispatch to report what he saw, and he waited for an officer to arrive. I want to set the scene for you guys a bit here. Salt Flat Road starts off as a paved road, and it continues that way for about three miles before turning into an unpaved dirt road. The portion of the road where Jason's car was found was about two miles after the pavement ended. This late at night, it would have been pitch black out there as there are no streetlights in the area. I don't like that. Sunday, December 13th, 2020 was a particularly cold night in Luling, Texas, with the temperatures around 36 degrees. And from what I can tell, it was also a bit windy out. I looked at the area on Google Maps. Yes. Now Laura's got me doing that with all these cases. I am so much better. Pinpointing on the geo area. And I saw a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. (laughs) There were some smaller trees and shrubs, some grass, some oil fields, a cemetery, and the occasional home scattered here and there, but not a whole heck of a lot going on in Luling, Texas on Salt Flat Road. The police have released the body cam footage from that night, so I was able to watch as a patrolman arrived on the scene and spoke with the volunteer fireman. The men chatted a bit, and they pretty quickly came to the conclusion that this was a single-car accident. They can tell based on the skid marks that coming off of a turn, the driver veered off the road, overcorrected the wheel, and then spun out, hitting some trees before finally coming to a stop with the driver's side pressed up against a barbed wire fence. Oh. I have so many thoughts. Like, I wonder, was, see, he shouldn't have gone so late. Maybe he was very tired. But still, I still, I'm still confused. Two miles on a dirt road is a a long long way. way, even if it's a smooth dirt road. But an accident, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That explains... Because... Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm very into this case. So the officer examines the car, and he notes a couple things. He sees the keys are still in the vehicle. It's pretty banged up, and it's definitely inoperable, but the crash was certainly survivable. The rear windshield has been broken. He thinks it's probably from the trees or the tree branches that struck the vehicle before it finally came to a stop. Um, the volunteer then tells the officer that there's an abandoned property nearby, and he suggests that maybe it's worth checking for the driver there. Before doing that, though, the men, I actually saw three of them at the scene, because remember, I watched the body cam footage. They look through Jason's items that they found in the road. So they found his stuff in the road, not in his car. Which is weird. Very strange. They specifically focus on his backpack, probably hoping it would contain some identifying information, and it did. Inside the bag was Jason's wallet, which had his ID, and they noticed his driver's license says Missouri City, so right away they jumped to this being a college kid who was in the area because we're about two and a half hours away from Missouri City. They continue looking through the bag, this time finding a prescription pill bottle containing joints. I think there were like 11 or 13 of them, maybe. I was trying to count, but it's, it's hard to tell from the body cam footage. Mm. More than one. More than one, <laughs> yes. Um, also, from watching the body cam footage, one of the officers makes a really big deal out of this discovery. You can hear him say, oh my goodness, rut row. And the <laughs> other officer responds with a concurring, yep, woo. They, along with the volunteer, go on to speculate that this must be why the person didn't want to leave the bag in the car. And maybe he's a delivery boy. So they, they have never experienced weed in their lives then. It seems that way from okay. how they reacted. Yeah. This is a very conservative group of people yeah. based on their initial reaction. Okay. And they jumped to a conclusion pretty quickly without having any facts whatsoever. When you started saying that they were like, ooh, we found it, I was thinking, what year is it? It's 2020. Right. Yeah, it was already legalized in a bunch of states, right? So big big whoop. Yeah, big whoop. I don't maybe it's not recreationally legal in Texas yet. I'm I'm actually not sure if Texas is one of the states. I would venture I would to guess it's no. probably not one of yeah. the states that's legalized it. Um 
But it's still, to your point, it really is not that big of a deal. But like, it was like a big hubbub is the best way I can explain it to the officers. I was like, oh shit, is this the 70s, 80s? Nope. Nope. 2020. 2020. Okay. The video doesn't focus on it so much, but the volunteer comments that all of Jason's clothes are strewn about the road a couple hundred feet away from where the men are standing and says, wherever he is, he's completely naked. The officer who was searching the bag then goes on to say that he's going to leave the clothes in the road, but he's going to take the bag back with him to continue reviewing its contents. And then he's like, does anyone have a lighter? (laughs) Uh, It was not legal. It It is still not legal in Texas. So that kind of explains a little bit of the reaction since they are law enforcement, but it it felt a little like you could definitely tell that immediately they had formed an opinion of Mm. who Jason was as a person based on finding this Mm -hmm. stuff in his bag. Right. Instead of maybe being concerned about the fact that there was clearly an accident and also... I do not follow at all the thought process that, oh, he didn't want it in the car, so he left it in the middle of the road where it's very clear and even more suspicious. No, no. Right. It's just, it just seems weird. Sense. So I would, I would have been more concerned. At this point, the officers are trying to start... At this point, the officers are starting to put together what they think happened here. Jason was driving along Salt Flat Road, likely intoxicated from either alcohol or marijuana, or both, veered off the road and crashed into the fence. The passenger side of the car was found locked, and since the driver's side was pinned up against the fence, Jason must have either exited the vehicle through the rear windshield, which was totally shattered, or he somehow shimmied out of the driver's side door and he moved through the barbed wire. The airbag hadn't deployed, so maybe he had hit his head and he was dealing with a head injury of some sort. Maybe he was out of his mind on drugs, or again, some combination of the two things, and he stumbled away from the crash site. Some of you may be asking, why would Jason have taken his clothes off after exiting the vehicle on such a cold night? Yes, that is a question I have. Well, there is a theory for this. Um, It's possible that Jason was suffering from hypothermia and experienced something called paradoxical undressing. It's a condition that occurs in hypothermic individuals where all the blood in their core rushes to their extremities in an attempt to warm them back up, and it results in the person feeling a kind of hot flash type of a sensation. And if you combine this with a person already being confused and disoriented, you can understand why they would just remove all of their clothes in an effort to cool down. Obviously, it would be counterproductive, but they cannot comprehend that in the moment. I learned that uh, one of my random obsessions, um, Titanic is one of them, Mount Everest is another. Uh, And I learned that phrase from that happens to people when they are suffering from hypothermia it's on so wild. Mount Everest. It it's is wild. insane because you would think logically, you're like, I am on Mount Everest. I yep. should be clothed. But yeah, so. I got a grim fact for you. I'm wondering if you learned about this other thing when you were learning about Everest. So oftentimes paradoxical undressing is immediately followed by another phenomenon known as terminal burrowing. The person who is now completely naked reverts to an almost primal-like instinct to dig a hole or burrow a den to create a shelter of sorts for themselves. No, I hadn't learned that, but it makes a lot of sense and it's really creepy and awful it is creepy i think my eyebrows hit the ceiling (laughs) i i'm not trying to say that's what happened here it was just something i learned while i was researching hypothermia for this case and i found it interesting so i had to share it with you guys we want all the information so i appreciate that yes i love an interesting grim fact yeah it is i'd like a whole aside that just goes deep into hypothermia so i'm i'm good with that if you want to continue (laughs) i did stop myself from doing that so that's about all the extent of my knowledge of hypothermia One of the officers, I believe it was the highway patrolman, phoned Jason's parents, and he told them that he had found the car and signs that Jason had been the driver, but he had no idea where their son was. Did did they find his cell phone? No, he does not have Jason's cell phone. Technically, the car was registered to Jason's parents. Oh, that's even easier. Yeah, they got their phone number and called. 
The officer shared that while they were actively working to locate Jason, he feared that he may be on some type of a substance because they did find some narcotics in his bag. <laughs> Again, overdramatic. Mm-hmm. The phone call was part of the footage that I watched, so I actually got to hear his parents speaking with the officer. They wanted to know how bad the crash was and what they should do. His mom initially tried to stay very positive, saying that, you know, since it was so cold outside, maybe Jason just exited the vehicle to find somewhere warm to wait for help. They ended the call with the officer telling them that he'd be in touch shortly, but it left the Landrys with a lot of questions and, as you can imagine, a really terrible pit in their stomachs. Jason's parents decided that Lisa, his mom, would wait at home in case Jason showed up there and that Kent, his dad, would drive out to Luling to help look for Jason. Meanwhile, the patrolman went over to the abandoned house to look for Jason. It wasn't a bad idea with how cold it was and Jason obviously not wearing any clothes. It could have been an easy place to hide out and warm up. He walked around the entire property, looked in the windows, but there was no sign of Jason. He returned to his vehicle and seemed to drive up and down the road briefly looking for Jason, but he ultimately left the area and returned home. Are they sure that... Those were the clothes that he was wearing because they mentioned the backpack being in the road. Is it mm-hmm. possible he had an extra set of clothing in his backpack, maybe warmer clothes or maybe he changed instead of being running around naked? These and- were clothing that we know he was wearing earlier in the night based okay. on um, photos and, and video that he had taken. So they are confident that this is what he was wearing. Okay, but they're they're not... There's no way to know whether or not he changed into something. That is true. It, it wasn't like they just found... I don't think they just found one set of clothes. Like, they found his entire bag. Like, we'll get okay. to it, but, like, his mm. toiletries bag was in there. Okay. Like, his water cup. He had all the stuff. His contacts were in there. Okay. Um, so it, it felt like, based on the clothing that they found, they felt pretty confident that this was what Jason was wearing. But to your point, it is possible he could have changed before he left his apartment. Okay. No, but I think you're saying, like, did he have extra clothes in his backpack he crashed and took the clothes off that he was wearing and put the clothes from his backpack on that they have no way of knowing that because they don't know where he is well they feel pretty confident that the underwear and the shorts that they found in the road were what he was wearing at the time of the accident because there's a small amount of blood on them um and what they're thinking is it would have been him getting poked with the barbed wire coming out of the Mm -hmm. car or if he crawled out of the windshield it would have been like if you got Mm -hmm. like nicked by a little piece of glass on the way out So I guess based on there being blood there, and it was only an hour after we last knew his location. So it's possible like it totally wasn't dried yet or something. So based on the appearance, they figured it's what he was wearing. Um, But everybody involved, the authorities and Jason's parents, feel pretty strongly that the clothing found at the scene was what he was wearing that night. And do you know, um, you said there's a little bit of blood from maybe crawling through the window or anything. So there wasn't like a a ton of blood from the accident or or did they say anything? No, there was no blood or anything in the car. There, like the rest of his clothing, the t-shirt they found, it didn't have anything on it. Mm. His socks didn't have anything. It was just like a teeny little bit. Like he got like a little, little jab in the booty when he was getting (laughs) out of the car. I have a funny anecdote for you about um, blood on clothing. I had blood on my blazer today because I scratched my arm and I didn't realize it. So I texted Laura to ask if she knew how to get blood out of clothing because I just feel like she would be the person mm-hmm. that'd be like, oh, you spilled red wine, use salt or, you know. I was going to say, take from that what you will. Yeah, if you <laughs> have to text me. If you, you know, knit and go to bed at seven, you know, I just figured she would know. Yeah. So I texted her and she said, OxyClean. I said, oh, okay. 
I said, by the way, I got some blood on my blazer. You're not aiding and abetting me with anything. And she's like, you know what? It didn't even occur to me. And then I sent her uh, a giphy of people dragging a man. And she's like, this is fine. This is, this seems fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. fine. It's fine. I just know for sure that it toxically gets blood out of clothing. It's fine. It's fine. For anyone who's wondering, shout works as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just in case. Listen, learn. <laughs> Just saying. As a side note, you guys are the, you specifically are the only person to ever challenge that he was naked. It is like a widely accepted fact that he was not wearing oh. clothes. Huh. I think it's unlikely that he got into a crash and then changed and like decided, yeah, I'm going to get into these other clothes, but it's possible because if he had a backpack, maybe, yes, of course he has a wardrobe at home, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I, none of this is logical to me. So I don't know why he would change. I also don't know why he'd be naked. So I don't know. Even the volunteer, like in the video says wherever he is, he's naked. Like it's, it's on the audio in the recording. I Hmm. I mean, I would probably make the same assumption if I saw this crash and pile of clothes in the road, I'd be like, well, yeah, he's, or he's a time traveler. There was nothing, there was nothing in his car that indicated he had packed any other clothing. It was literally just the bag and the clothes on his back that he left with. Yeah. Yeah. So you will need to accept this fact for the rest of the tale. I, okay. <laughs> I will accept it because I think it is equally illogical to have him ha- change. Before we continue our story any further, I want to pause here to talk a little bit about Jason as a person. Jason Landry was born on July 29th, 1999 to parents Lisa and Kent Landry. He was the youngest of their three children. He had a sister named Jessica and a brother named Kyle. If you guys can hear any background noise, it's Laura physically bracing herself, thinking about the concept of a human being born in 1999. And being in college. Even though my like, math brain knows that that's fact, I, for some reason, I knew that when you were going to say that the year, I knew it was going to feel recent, but I was thinking like 92. <laughs> 94. They're 30 now. Okay. Harsh reality. It seems like the Landrys are a very close-knit family. Dad, Kent, is a pastor, so the children grew up in the church, and their faith was very important to them. Jason was quite different from his siblings, but they all got along really great, and he was especially close to his brother, probably because they shared a room growing up. Both Jessica and Kyle were very type A personalities. They are self-motivated and driven, always having a plan for everything, and... Jason was really more of a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. He was far more extroverted than his siblings and just a free spirit who was always happy. He didn't need plans because he'd just roll with the punches and he had faith that things would work out. No shade to her other children, but Jason's mom says that he was the most kind-hearted and gave the best hugs of the bunch. Aww. I know. Jason was very musically talented. In middle school, he joined the band and he played a handful of different instruments, the trumpet and the trombone, just to name a couple. He continued to play music throughout his teenage years, eventually teaching himself how to play the piano, and at the time of his disappearance, he was working on learning guitar. Wow. After graduating from high school, Jason attended Sam Houston University. He maybe had a little too much fun with his first taste of freedom, though. He had a serious girlfriend that he may have been spending too much time with and not nearly enough time on his studies. Mm, Young love. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. Yep. He came back home, he went to junior college, he worked really hard and he got his grades up, and he focused on what it was he wanted to do with his life. He decided that he wanted to go to Texas State for sound recording technology, a program that you actually need to apply for and meet a bunch of requirements for after having already attended the university for a year. Wow. Part of the application required you to record a video introducing yourself to the faculty, and Jason's family found a bunch of practice attempts on his phone, so spoiler alert, they are going to find the phone eventually. 
For someone who wasn't much of a planner, he sure was taking the application process very seriously. The family actually posted one of these videos on Facebook and it was really cute to watch. You can just kind of feel Jason's nervous energy Mm. and excitement and he's getting all tongue-tied when he's talking. Oh. From everything I read, Jason was really looking forward to a second go-around with a four-year college, but COVID really threw a bit of a wrench into his plans. Not one of his classes was held in person that semester, so Jason spent a lot of time in his room by himself. Being a very social creature, it was definitely taking a toll on his happiness, so he decided to get a job and he worked part-time at Jimmy John's. Which, if nobody knows what that is, it's a sub place, like uh, Jersey Mike's or Subway-esque. Alright, so let's return to December 2020. Kent Landry, remember that's Jason's father, arrived at the crash site between 4.30 and 5 a.m., While Kent is currently, and was then, a pastor, he previously was an attorney, so he's no dummy. Kent actually filmed his time at the crash site, which he did not find by finding the car because they had already towed it away. (gasps) He had to have his wife call the police and get the approximate location on the road of the crash. He knew he was in the right place when he started to see Jason's clothing still laying in the road. (gasps) Wait, what the hell? Yeah, so the police had the car towed, left the clothes, and left the scene knowing, presumably, that Kent was on his way? Yep. In the background of the phone call with the patrolman, I think you can kind of hear Kent say that he's going to come out to the area. But yeah, the the police did not secure the scene. They had the car towed away. They took the bag that had the the joints in it and Jason's ID. um, And they left behind all of the clothing. They didn't pick any of it up. That makes no sense whatsoever. So they never suspected foul play, obviously. No, they did not. But even if you did, you would, wouldn't you pick up the clothes? You know what I mean? Even if you assumed that it wasn't foul play and that it was just... Yeah, littering and... (laughs) That's what I was... Littering and smoking the reefer, which he was doing. (laughs) Probably not. I don't know. I don't know. I know. We just had to make the joke. (laughs) On Ken's video, you can see that he finds Jason's shirt, his socks, his shoes, his underwear, and his toiletry bag. The officers had really just left everything other than the backpack there. This poor father... Who's, I'm sure, worried sick. It's, what, 4.30 in the morning, you said? That's awful. It is awful. And this video is actually available to the public as well. So you can see Kent walking through it. He is, I would say he's very well composed Mm -hmm. for somebody in his situation. But I think it's probably because he has a job he's Mm -hmm. carrying out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he is at the scene. He's trying to assess what happened. He's looking for his son. So I think you can kind of hear that he's focused, but e- even in the video, he he's like, oh God, please be with him. Oh. Like he's, he is distraught, but he's really yeah. keeping it together because he wow. has an objective. Oh wow. Kent was also surprised to find that he was the only person in the area. It seemed as though the police had just stopped searching for Jason and that's exactly what they had done. The patrolman who had called them to inform them of the accident, he went home and he went to bed. Did they file a missing persons report? No, they did nothing. They... From the videos and from everything that I've researched, the people who were the responders to the scene very quickly jumped to the conclusion that Jason was just some drunk college kid who fled the scene of an accident. So they are not concerned that anything bad is happening here. I just, I can't get past, even if, because I think you're spot on that that was their assumption and how they treated it, even if that's the case, wouldn't you want to bring this to closure and find him and I don't know, like worst case, yeah, uh, pro- not prosecute him, but charge him with something. I don't know. Drunk driving. You, yeah, you think you want to charge him. You think you want to close the case and not just let it go. And also find a body potentially since they th- they are saying he's naked and it's 36 degrees yeah, and right. windy. Yeah. And they think he has hypothermia. Yeah. 
So Kent, and you could see him doing this in the video, he carefully collects all of Jason's belongings from the scene, making sure filmed before he picks it up. Good for him. One thing he didn't find, and Laura hit on this earlier, Jason's cell phone. Kent thought to use the family locator functionality, and he was surprised to see that the phone was pinging as being in the impound lot. It was still in Jason's car (gasps) somewhere. It was not looking good for Jason. He had gotten into an accident and wandered away from his car without his phone or his clothing, but Kent is a man of immense faith, so he prayed that retrieving Jason's phone would lead him to the answers as to where his son could possibly be. When he arrived at the impound lot, he recorded another video, this time of Jason's car. I watched this video as well, and we'll post some pictures of the car on our socials, but for now I'm going to do my best to describe the damage. The rear driver's side was pretty banged up. It definitely seems like that was the primary point of impact to the vehicle. The rear windshield is entirely shattered. There are twigs resting on top of the back seat. The driver's side doors on the vehicle are a bit scratched up, but they're intact. The front driver's side is damaged with a piece of what I assume is maybe the bumper. I don't know cars very well, but it's a piece of metal that's visibly bent around the tire. I would say that I definitely agree with the assessment that somebody could have walked away from the accident, but they probably would have had a couple bumps and bruises. Mm. Kent found Jason's phone in what I like to call the pit of doom. (laughs) That little area in between the driver's seat and the center console. Kent started thinking. Maybe Jason had dropped his phone down there prior to the crash. Maybe that's why he missed his turn. Maybe he realized he was lost, and instead of pulling over to look for his phone, maybe he was fishing for it, and that's what caused the accident. Mm. It's actually not a bad theory at all. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but I personally think this is an incredibly relatable thought, because fun fact, it's exactly how I crashed my first car. <gasps> oh my I gosh. Know, I knew you. Ha- was it? Didn't you have a Nissan Altima? It wasn't I the did, one you it crashed. wasn't the Nissan. Yeah. No, it was a Mercury Mystique. Oh, ooh, <laughs> ooh. It is not as cool as it sounds. <laughs> it sounds really cool. It sounds mysterious. It was, it was neither of those two things. Um, but what it was, was it, it, it did save my life, I guess. Um, I had a trigonometry test and I was worried I forgot my calculator at home. So instead of being a responsible human being and pulling over, I was fishing around for it in my bag that was on mm-hmm. my passenger seat. I veered off the road, looked up and saw a tree, overcorrected, <gasps> spun out and hit a telephone pole, a rock wall and some other trees across the road. The driver's side doors didn't work, so I had to crawl out of the rear window. So, yep, I can totally see what Ken is thinking because it happened to me. Oh uh, my gosh. Wow, I actually didn't know that story. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I could see, you know, his dad putting that together. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't even fishing in the, the pit of doom. I was just right. in my bag on the passenger seat. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, it's a good theory, especially because we have the information that he was looking at a Snapchat video. So it's completely possible you drop your phone. And then, I don't know, does it take you, like, maybe he is a little tired, a little distracted. And yeah, he probably notices it's a dirt road. He's like, oh, I got to just grab my phone. I'm, I'm subscribing to this theory currently. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe he saw the Snapchat and just kind of like fumbled with his phone and right. it fell into the pit of doom and he drove and when it turned into a dirt road, I still think it's a little suspicious yeah, that it was two miles, miles yeah. of dirt he went down, but he probably wouldn't have known something mm. was wrong until he hit that point. True. And I'm also thinking if it's really dark and you're distracted, yes, you have headlights, but you're distracted. You can have a bumpy paved road that feels kind of as crappy as a dirt road. So I can see if you're really not paying attention, you're distracted, maybe tired, it's dark, it's cold. I could buy it. Um, This is the best theory I've heard thus far. And it's not even mine. (laughs) (laughs) It's Kent's. (laughs) Unfortunately for Kent, though, Jason's phone was locked, so there really wasn't all that much he could do with it at the moment. And ultimately, it wouldn't really end up being all that useful Mm. anyway, even once it was unlocked. So it was pretty much just a dead end. 
which actually almost the absence of information tells us something because if he was doing something after he crashed, you'd think you'd see something, some search, some right. attempt to call a text, some whatever. The fact that there isn't anything of interest, and you didn't specifically say this, but it seems like it wasn't used after the crash because it was still in the pit of yep. doom. Um, it, that actually is almost more telling to me. One of the things I either watched or listened to, I can't remember, but it made it a point to say that you should make sure you give your phone passcode to one person you trust. Even if it's not your parent, just give it to someone somehow so it, so that if there's ever an emergency and your phone is found, but you are not, somebody can access it quickly. Hmm. Listen, learn. That's a good one. It's a fair point. Yeah. I have the exact same passcode as my husband. So oh. <laughs> if you ever need to get into one of us, you, I'll let you know. But it's it's quite convenient, so he could get into my phone. Hack one phone, hack all phones. <laughs> <laughs> hack them all. <laughs> Kent is kind of getting a bit upset that he seems to be the only person who's looking for his son. Yeah. Again, going back to that footage that I had watched, it was super clear that the officers were very nonchalant about what happened with Jason. When they first found the joints in his bag, they made a big deal of it, and it definitely shaped their opinion of what happened. I think it's fair to say that they didn't take Jason's case very seriously at all initially, because, Mm -hmm. again, he was either some punk college kid or worse, a drug runner and not someone who was in any serious danger. How far out are we at this point? Like, are we 48 hours, three weeks it is, it is unclear to me when okay. they started the search. Okay. It, but when Kent was looking, it was like only a couple hours, right? Only maybe four yes, or five and he, hours. Yes, and he went to the impound lot. He right. went to the police to give them the phone that he retrieved from the car. So it, it's like, it might have been later that day, mm-hmm. but we are probably at least 12 hours out from the accident. Okay, so we're not like weeks out. Because I was just wondering. No. I was thinking of a car abandoned on the side of the road where they put those orange stickers on it. Mm. I wouldn't think that someone would immediately think, oh my gosh, this person's missing. So I wasn't sure if they're just waiting to see if he wanders back mm. home or what the strategy is on the, or non-strategy on the police side. I think if it had been just like pulled to the side of the road and abandoned, maybe I could follow that. But yeah. the fact that it was in an, in an accident, had all this damage, the backpack was found, the clothes were found. Kent voiced his obvious dissatisfaction to the police, and they agreed that maybe they should start some initial search efforts to locate Jason. Aww. Thoughtful. Very thoughtful. The Texas Highway Patrol assembled a search team, and they called in Texas Search and Rescue, a.k.a. Texar. I had a lot of fun saying Texar in my head as I was researching the case, so I just wanted to share that that was AKA Texar. Does it it remind you of Reptar in the Rugrats? Because that's what it reminded me of. It didn't, but it now does. You're welcome. You have unlocked a core memory. I just watched the Rugrats. I went on a YouTube binge on like old cartoons and so good. So it's still good. Very weird. Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, very weird. Mm -hmm. Very cat dog. All good, good old gruel. cartoons. Gruel. Yeah, that's, I wanted to call them gruel cartoons. Great, cool cartoons. <laughs> anyway, all right. So at this point, they've assembled a search team, and they do spend most of the week looking for Jason. They had helicopters and fixed-wing aircrafts canvassing the area. There were drones being used to capture literal hundreds of thousands of images. There were also multiple dogs and dog teams brought in to try to help pick up Jason's scent. Several of the dogs alerted near the ponds in the area, and the authorities actually worked with local landowners to get permission to drain them, hoping they would find Jason, but he was not in any of the ponds they drained. At this point, I'm feeling like he had to have been abducted or something because 
I just like, where are you going to go on foot? It sounds like there isn't much around there. And the people who are around there haven't seen him. We're not seeing him in, do you know, in your exploration of the maps, is it a lot of wooded area or you said right by there, it was like not, not heavy woods. It It's not wooded. Like what you and I think of in new yeah. England, there's like short trees and not a whole heck of a lot of them. It's a lot more of like tall grass, mm. like dead yellowy beigeish tall grass i was just trying to think like would you would i don't i don't know what kind of search they were doing if they were doing um with the temperature uh what's that called infrared if they were doing infrared search but like how could they find you know i was trying to gauge if it would be easy to see a body or not because if it was easy to see and they didn't see him then i would think he might have been abducted Okay, so I don't think it would have been difficult to see based on like tree coverage or vegetation in the area. It could have been difficult to see because everything was very neutral colored. Mm. And as a naked human, you too are very neutral colored. So you kind of blend in with the scenery. I would shine like a beacon of light. Bright that white. Is how, that is how pale my body is. Laura and I would be found. <laughs> we would reflect light into space and it would, would be a homing beacon. They'd be like, is there another moon? <laughs> Two, actually. <laughs> the sun is reflecting. In addition to the authorities, there was an outpouring of support from the community and tons of volunteers showed up to help search for Jason. After searching for about a week and no signs of him, the authorities decided to suspend the search efforts and they sent everybody home. The police didn't completely halt their investigation, though. They had his car processed and searched for DNA and fingerprints. I don't believe anything material really came out of this because there was no mention of what may or may not have been found. I kind of just have to assume it wasn't anything useful. They pulled trail cam videos from people in the area hoping to spot Jason on the footage, but they still found nothing. They looked at the surveillance video from a gas station that was near the intersection where Jason missed his turn, and again, I'm assuming it was also uneventful since there was no further information available about the video. The images that were taken from the drones were shared with the local university, I forget which one, and they used some technology to scan the photos to look for the presence of human remains. I did actively have to stop myself from going down the rabbit hole and totally understanding how this worked, but it seemed like basically they had computers programmed to spot human remains, and when they received a potential match, the images were reviewed by human eyes to try to determine what was there. If it was suspected to be human, they went out to look at the site. If it wasn't, they kind of just moved on. They never found any human remains based on searching these photos and the images. It was all animal remains. Mm. I will say that despite their initial reaction being that this was just some dumb college kid fleeing the scene of the accident, the police did seem to take this case seriously at this point, and they were investigating what could have happened to Jason and where he could be. It was, in my opinion, a huge misstep or missed opportunity that the patrolman who responded to the accident did not search further for Jason. If he was on foot, he really wouldn't have gotten very far in an hour or so between him crashing and the officer arriving on the scene. Again, it's almost like those early hours when someone first goes missing are super critical or something. How many hours would you say? Approximately. I don't know, like the first 48 might be important. You know, it just like stands out in my head. Rolls off the tongue. (laughs) I, I feel pretty confident in making the statement that for the first 12 hours that Jason was missing, the only person who was looking for him was his dad. It sounds like it. That's sad. Which is awful, because even though you're right, he probably couldn't have gotten very far. 
I mean, even walking at a mile an hour, a mile radius yeah. is a huge amount of area for them to be able to look. There's no possible way they could have. Even um, if they would have waited until dawn, right? They want daylight. It's still like six hours after yes. he was missing. I don't know exactly when they started searching, but just based on the timing and like, honestly, the daylight in the videos from Jason's dad, it, it just looked like they probably didn't start until at the earliest, the early afternoon. Mm. From their investigation, the police determined that there was no foul play at hand. They think that Jason was just driving under the influence, missed his turn, got into the accident, left the vehicle, possibly in a state of confusion due to a head injury or hypothermia, or again, both, why choose just one? <laughs> and he wandered into the wilderness somewhere, eventually succumbing to the elements and passing away before, wait for it, his body was eaten by wild boars. Oh, okay. Now, I did have to look this up. And this area of Texas does actually have a huge wild boar problem. While they typically will not try to eat you if you are alive, they will not hesitate to eat human remains. I will keep this in mind. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> are you telling me that Pumbaa ate Jason Landry? When he was a young dog. What is the song? Quickly, what the fuck is the song? Oh my it god. was magic. Wow. I don't... We can end now. This, this episode cannot go any better. Drop the mic. Oh man. And, and again, I, I truly do not mean any disrespect. No, I think we've said unrelated. this a few times. Yeah. Like, laughter is sort of the way that we process the very grim material that we cover right. in situations like this. I do actually follow that theory because what do we always say Occam's razor yeah like the simplest solution is often the answer and I, I guess that makes sense given the the situation but it would explain why you can't find anything and it does wrap everything up in a nice yeah, little package with a bow true do they eat the bones oh that's a good question I think what I read was that they they will eat the bones, like they'll chomp on them, but I don't think they fully will ingest them. I think it would just kind of leave bone fragments in its place. Okay. Which the drone would never pick up. No. Or it would pick them up and then they went out there just to find that it was cattle bones, not actually mm. human remains in the area. Hmm. They do say if you kill someone, like you can feed them to the pigs. That's like, a, that's a thing. Yeah. So you actually can, or the yeah. wild pigs. Apparently the wild boars are a better way to go. <laughs> His family was not satisfied with this no. rendition of events, and they felt like there was definitely more to the story, and they were not the only ones. One of Jason's friends from college happened to be the daughter of a retired FBI agent named Abel Pena. She told her father about Jason's case, and Abel reached out to the Landry family, offering his help. He's actually part of an organization of retired law enforcement officers who have banded together to offer their services, pro bono, to families in need. I love that. Love That's it too. Awesome. They're like the real life superheroes. I'm yeah, thinking like yeah. the Avengers here. I want to help. I'm not qualified, but <laughs> I, I want to help. The Landry family was obviously very willing to accept their help. And for a while, this team of private investigators did closely work with the local authorities and the Texas Rangers. Because they all had the shared goal of finding Jason, the police fully cooperated with the private investigators and they shared all of the information that they had. Once the team of PIs had this information, though, they formed a very different opinion of what happened that night, and that's really when their relationship started to deteriorate a bit, is when they had a difference of opinion here. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after. 
The team of PIs did not agree that Jason was solely responsible for the accident. They thought that the way his clothing was found in the road was highly suspicious. Using the video taken by Jason's father, they observed that the clothing seemed more carefully placed than haphazardly flung Mm. off by somebody who was in a state of confusion. Hmm. Most notably was Jason's watch. It had been carefully placed face up under his shirt. They also commented how it was problematic that the scene was never properly secured, and Mm. it's highly likely, in their opinion, that evidence was destroyed as a result of this. They mentioned how the vehicle was almost immediately towed, and there were no photos taken of the car at the scene of the accident. The only images of the car at the scene would be from still shots from the police body cam, which, let's face it, is not the highest quality image out there. No, no. I'm still blown away by that because, again, even if you assume that they think that he's a drug mule or some terrible person, wouldn't you want to charge him and have that? It just it doesn't make any sense to me why they would erase it. Unless there's a giant conspiracy against him. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. They began doing some research to learn a little bit more about Luling, and they found that Luling actually had a massive drug problem. There were some not so great individuals residing in the immediate area, and there had been several recent arrests for drug trafficking. Is it possible that Jason could have come across some of these unsavory individuals and something nefarious did actually happen to him? The PI team didn't rule it out. In fact, they thought that there were signs pointing to there having been one or two other people with Jason that night, like in the car. Oh. Oh. They even speculated that Jason may not have been the one driving the vehicle. They thought that somebody else had driven the vehicle, crashed it, and scattered Jason's clothing in the area to make it look like he had done it himself. Hmm. They set up a tip line so people could come forward with any information they had and to do so anonymously. They received way more calls than they ever could have possibly anticipated, and there was a common theme coming through in the calls, and that was that something bad happened to Jason Landry. Any tip that was received was investigated. The PIs traveled all over the state of Texas to investigate potential sightings of Jason, each time finding out that it was never him. To his surprise, Abel Pena received a letter addressed to him at his personal residence, which he found a bit alarming, but he was ultimately grateful for it all the same. Parts of the letter were displayed on the episode of Disappeared that I watched, so you know I paused it a billion times and copied it down so I could read it to you all. It was blacked out in some areas, but I think you could still understand the gist of it. I'm thinking they were removing like street names and the names of people just to to protect because it was somebody speculating about what happened. So that we too could not send him a letter. Exactly. (laughs) He sent these people a letter. Fair enough. So it reads... I'm writing you in the hopes that you can look into this. I heard that the blank in Luling, Texas killed Jason and put blank. Apparently, a lot of people in Luling know this. They are afraid to tell. Their names are blank and blank. They were hanging out during that time that Jason went missing at their mom's blank. Blank lives at the corner of Blank Street about the blank that Jason was last at. I heard this and it's haunted me. Please look into this. These blanks are nothing but trouble. Their blank doesn't work. His name is blank. He sells drugs. I'm pretty sure they all do. I think there was a little bit more to this letter, but I couldn't really get a good shot of the additional text. And I think, you know, again, there's a lot of information that's missing, but it feels a lot like some of the blanks are people's names. Some of the blanks Mm -hmm. are street names. But Mm -hmm. at the heart of it, it's saying that I overheard that this group of people in Luling, Texas killed Jason Landry. A lot of people in the area know it. They're afraid to tell. Um, It's a town of almost 6,000. So it is a close knit community. 
And people probably do know yeah. what happened to him if, if something nefarious occurred. You know, yeah. bad gas travels fast in a small town. So uh, that's probably what would have happened here. And it sounds like this person is saying that is exactly what happened here. And they're saying these people live in the area near where Jason was last known to be. So they did it. They sell drugs. That whole group or that whole family does. So I think this person is speculating that Jason crossed paths with a, with a bad group of people. Just just happened to and just happened to okay at that yeah. intersection that i can follow more than like he had anything to do with it or that they targeted him but did it just look like well nobody drives down this road and let's see who this and he uh maybe he had a college sticker on his on his yep. car or something hmm. i mean if it was a rough area of town and he was stopped at a traffic light who's he could have gotten carjacked yeah that happens right absolutely um, it was late at night. It would have been dark. He's a single male, a little younger. He's not exactly like a huge mm-hmm. dude. Um, I would say he could have been targeted for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. That seems more likely to me, and I buy it more than the wild boar theory, but we also don't live in an area where something will eat your bones clean, no. so my brain can't really process that <laughs> as a, a real option. <laughs> It's a hard truth to accept when it is not your truth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's true. So this entire case, when you really break it down, it really comes down to finding out what occurred over the course of about 60 minutes in roughly a five-mile area. That's not very far, and it's not very long. Yeah. It's just just crazy, like, that something could happen that quickly, and then he's literally gone without a trace. It would have helped. If the police took action yes. in that very small area mm-hmm. right away. I, I agree that it likely would have helped. Yeah. All of the information that had been sent in from the tip line, including the information about this letter that Pena had received, it was all shared with the police. And they did hesitantly agree that it was possible, if you ignored all of the actual evidence. They continued to stand firm by their ruling that this was a one-car accident and a terrible tragedy, but there was no foul play or crime committed here. One thing we haven't done up to this point is talk about Jason's state of mind leading up to his disappearance. Was there anything going on maybe in his life that could have been cause for concern? Earlier on the night Jason went missing, he FaceTimed his longtime friend and neighbor, Jack Frank, just to shoot the shit. Jack actually screen recorded the call, though, because he said Jason sounded crazy and Jack did not think that Jason would believe him the next day if he just tried to tell him some of the things he was saying. So Jack wanted to have proof. This is very interesting information. The full recording is 38 minutes long, but only a portion of it has been released to the public. Unfortunately, and this is the real kicker, there is no sound to the recording. It is only the video. It's still helpful to watch because it does offer a little bit of insight into Jason's demeanor earlier in the evening. According to Jack, Jason was talking about spiritual awakening and opening the third eye. Jason can be seen in the video rolling joints, the same joints that would be recovered from his bag later in the evening at the scene scene of the crash. I am terrible at lip reading, so I can't really make out much of what he would have been saying, but he's talking with his hands and it looks like he's gesturing in a way that would make me think he's explaining something he's put a lot of thought into. Hmm. Like he was pointing at his head and making like a thinking, aha kind of emotion. So I think he was like revealing his great revelations, his buddy. Okay. I'm actually surprised to that point about lip reading. I'm surprised that no one who is really good at lip reading has watched it or that Jack doesn't remember. I guess he knows generally, but he doesn't remember the 
specific no he does that's all we have to go off of is yeah. jack's word but True. we don't actually have the audio to confirm yeah. we don't have any reason to suspect that jack would be lying or making up any of it but it, yeah. it's just him recounting the conversation yeah right it's, and i guess what is it really what are further details and exact words going to actually tell you probably nothing so. exactly yeah his demeanor does seem a little bit off watching the video again it's hard to say for sure without the audio but it felt like he had maybe a manic energy to him he is visibly sweating, like through his t-shirt. You oh. can see the pit stains and he's just sitting down inside of his apartment, not doing anything that should make you sweat like that in, remember, December. Oh, yeah. During the call, he must have told Jack about his intentions to drive to his parents' house because Jack had texted him asking Jason to please get some sleep before heading out. Jack also shared that in the week leading up to Jason's disappearance, he noticed his friend hadn't been eating or sleeping regularly, just smoking a ton of marijuana which probably is not great for you if you aren't taking care of yourself otherwise. No. And our, like I, my first thought actually went to like a worse drug. Like that seems to me like the, the behavior and demeanor of someone on like meth or something. So I wonder if there, yes, maybe he was intending mm-hmm. to smoke weed, but maybe there was, he was getting bad weed or something. Could and, have been laced with yeah, something. Yeah. Um, I do think Jason may have dabbled in psychedelics at some point in time. So it's possible he took like shrooms or something. It it did not seem like somebody who was just super high. Right. Right. Like he he didn't look like it was from just smoking marijuana. And it sounds like, I mean, Jack's his friend and knows him well. And I'm sure he knows that something is off. You know when your friends are off. Right. Exactly. That's why he was recording the video because he was thinking, oh man, I got to show him this the next day. Like, Even if Jason wouldn't have gone missing, it really wouldn't have worked out for Jack because there was no audio (laughs) when you do a screen recording of a FaceTime. But um, he just, he had like the thought to record it because to him it was so out of the normal for Jason. right. Yikes. Jason did address Jack's text message and he basically said, you know, he appreciated the concern, but he'd actually gotten some sleep earlier in the day. So he was totally fine to drive. When the police reviewed the video, they did so in combination with Jack's recollection of the conversation that night. They point to the excessive sweating and say that that's proof that Jason was under the influence of something. And like we talked about, he could be high, but it doesn't look like it's just marijuana. And mm. in my opinion and experience, when you sweat like that, that marijuana does not make that happen, right? right. So it was definitely something else that was going on here. Yeah. And it may or may not have been drug-induced. Right. I'm thinking stress-induced. Yeah, it could be stress, like college finals that you just wrapped up. Like maybe you're coming down from like a big anxiety high. It's a weird semester that you just finished. There was one other thing. Police looked at Jason's search activity leading up to his disappearance. He was looking up things like, how long can you live in the woods without food? How long can you go in the wilderness? He was also looking up information on spiritual awakening, different strains of marijuana, and how to combine them to achieve certain effects. There was evidence of conversations that Jason had had with other people, talking about using narcotics to reach a higher plane of existence. All of it aligns pretty closely to what Jack was saying Jason was talking to him about on the call that night. I don't like where this is going at all because I've been trying to defend Jason from, you know, not being under the influence of something, but it it, it really, I even if it's stress-induced, I mean, a 40-minute conversation where you're sweating like that and talking in... in strange things and then you're also looking up spiritual awakening and all that that does not sound that sounds worse than weed to me and um especially if that's what he's searching is to go out in the woods i don't i don't like it even removing drugs 
from the scenario, now I'm not thinking that he was in some confused state. Either, either, well, maybe he was, but either it was drugs and he was in a confused drug-induced state and sort of wandered off, or based on his searches, I would say he got into the car accident and thought this is the universe mm. telling me it's time to go into the woods. Reading and he, the sign. He literally was doing a naked and afraid. He did. He was. He yeah. did a Marvin Hemeyer yep. naked and afraid. That's that's what I thought that when you mentioned the, the searches, not even about drugs, just yeah. maybe he did it on purpose, like took it as an opportunity. Yeah, because that's what I couldn't couldn't connect was the accident and going like I could see if the car was just parked and this I would actually think it was way yeah. more likely that he went yes. out and decided to go out and live in the woods. But even then, you would think that if that were the case, that the search would have turned something up. Right it's just it's all very confusing to me still i guess the boars the boars boars factor in here i will say the police are kind of on the same wavelength that you guys are when they see this um they just said it was more support for the theory that jason was likely under the influence of something Mm -hmm. they did briefly speculate like we did that maybe the marijuana he was smoking was laced with some other substance possibly a psychedelic um, I had read that they sent the joints away for testing, but again, I did not see what if any results were returned. There was just no further information available on it. If he was out of his mind on drugs and already sweating when he got into the accident, maybe it wasn't paradoxical undressing. Maybe he just ripped his clothes off because he was genuinely overheating. Yeah. Don't know. Some people believe that Jason left on his own based on this information that I'm giving you now. And as the police pointed out, this is America. You do have the right to just disappear if you want to. Mm-hmm. But with what what resources? Exactly. I don't think that's what happened here. Is it possible that Jason went on some kind of vision quest in the woods in the middle of the night? Sure. But I don't think he was intending to disappear forever. And I certainly don't think he was intending to harm himself. He was making plans. And as we've talked about before, that's not something that someone who's intending to harm themselves usually does. To further bolster my point, the day before Jason went missing, he texted his mother his Christmas list. Oh. It was long. Incredibly specific and very expensive. <laughs> exactly what you would expect from a 21-year-old college kid. <laughs> yep. Why would he put so much time into building a list of gifts he'd never get to enjoy if he intended to disappear? Mm. I wanted to just summarize some of the highlights from the list and then share additional text messages that he had sent to his mom, again, just to get everybody into his mm-hmm. headspace in the day leading up to his disappearance. He was asking for several, I think three, pairs of very expensive shoes, a Beats pill, like a wireless speaker, mm-hmm. a PlayStation 5, and his favorite thing in the world, crazy socks. <laughs> he followed up the text containing the list by saying, Sorry it's so late. I've been trying to get it together these past few days, but for the socks, these are just some suggestions. I don't want those specifically. Those are just ideas. I really liked when Jess got me the subscription from Sock Fancy, but would like subscriptions for socks with cool and iconic designs with characters or something on them other than just cool designs. Although I still wear my Sock Fancy socks from time to time. In another text, if you're unsure what kind of socks exactly I want, one of my favorite pairs is the one I got from Aunt Donna from the white elephant Christmas sock thing we did. The monkey business ones with the monkey in a suit and tie holding a briefcase in one hand and a banana in another. So yes. wacky and cool socks like that, but not basic ones with just like tacos or dogs on them. Oh. I I am fully on the same page <laughs> as Jason. I get it. I get it. That's hysterical. Oh, I would, as a mother, I I would just cherish that because it shows Mm -hmm. the character of your child. 
I, I will say that there is one part of that text that's slightly concerning to me. And now I know it was finals and you're wrapping things up, but mm-hmm. the, the comments around, I'm, I've been trying to get it together these past couple of days is a little bit concerning to me. I read that as I've been trying to get together the list, get it yes. together the oh, list. Cause oh, he's sorry. Oh, oh. It's his list is so I'm, late. Yes. I'm projecting. That's how I feel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please proceed. A Freudian interpretation. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> So I think it's pretty clear. Crazy socks are Jason's jam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like he loves these things. Yeah. I think you can tell from the text that he's incredibly serious about his socks and very particular. Um, I feel like sharing this detail really highlights his goofy and playful yeah. personality. Yeah. And in Jason's honor, I am actually wearing cool socks while we record this podcast. Aww. I will show them to Laura and Marina. They have little dogs on them. And it says, my dog is cool as fuck because I'm a proud dog mama and Fallon Aww. is the best. <laughs> and just in case you guys are wondering, where did I get these text messages? messages in this Christmas list from the Facebook page that his parents maintain. So that's just like a little example of the kinds of information that they share out there. Um, And I know I had mentioned how to find it earlier, but just so you don't have to go back in our episode, if you go to Facebook and you search missing person hyphen Jason Landry, that's how you'll find it. They post pretty regularly even more so around the holidays. They recently shared a photo of their family Christmas card and it was just really heartbreaking. There's the entire family, minus Jason, of course, at Kyle's wedding, a photo of his sister's new baby girl, and Mm. then a little image of Jason next to a dog tag that reads, never give up. Oh, that, oh, that got me. That got me in the feels. Yeah, because it, the hardest thing about losing someone, and we won't even say that it's even harder if they're they're missing um, in many ways, but the hardest thing about losing someone is that life continues. Yes. And there are milestones and little things and life just continues. So that just breaks my heart for them because you have to still enjoy that stuff and you have to celebrate that, but you, you know he's not there. It and makes it- me very sad it has to be worse when they're missing because you yes. can't yes. even grieve them. Right. Like there has to be a mental block to accepting that they're yeah. gone with when you don't have that final answer. Right. So you cannot even grieve them. You're just in a limbo. And how, as I, I would think you always have that tiny little bit of hope, even if right. logically, you know that it's not the case. I, I'm sure you just have that little bit of hope. Right. Oh, yep. yep. In the two years since Jason disappeared, they have shared tons of video clips and photos of Jason to that page. After watching a handful of the video clips, I do feel like I know Jason almost on a personal level. That's awesome. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly what his family wants you to feel. They're hoping that the more they can get his story and his personality out there, the more interest it will continue to generate in the case. I know his family was upset about the initial focus that law enforcement had on Jason's marijuana usage, and they still do believe that it very much clouded the investigator's judgment of what happened that night. His dad was quoted as saying something like, he wished his son hadn't used marijuana, but he, Kent, wasn't perfect himself, and he knew that it was something a lot of college kids experimented with. So it seems like he was completely aware that Jason did smoke, but maybe he just didn't realize how much he had been smoking as of late. Remember, again, we are talking about the height of the pandemic here in late 2020. Jason was an incredibly extroverted person who suddenly found himself isolated to his apartment three hours away from home with all of his classes virtual. He, like a lot of people, may have been self-medicating at the time just to kind of cope. And it's just a matter of picking your poison, you know? For Jason, it might have been marijuana. For other people, it might have been alcohol or who knows what else it could have been. You're pointing a little too specifically around here. (laughs) wine (laughs) i 
Uh, that reminds me of the time. Do you remember when we went to the Indian place downtown and we cleared them out of those tiny little bottles of Prosecco? I do. I do. <laughs> I just had a memory of that. I'm like another, another one. <laughs> See, so even between you two and me, we all had little vices yes, that we picked right, up during yes. the pandemic to self-soothe, self-medicate, whatever. Yes. So it is totally reasonable that jason could have done something yeah. like that yes. and no no fault to him everybody no. needed something to get through it yep anyway so i think the purpose of sharing all this personal information aside from you know you getting to know jason is almost a way to combat the initial stigma that was associated with his disappearance yeah and ultimately make jason look like he's more relatable mm-hmm. at the time of his disappearance jason had long shaggy brown hair and a lot of people see that and immediately think drug dealer oh my gosh which is incredibly unfair and not true the early news reports seem to have leaned pretty heavily on finding a bag full of narcotics, which also did not help his image. Come on. I know. I am very frustrated for his family because the amount that was found in his bag was very obviously only enough marijuana for personal usage. Right. So it never should have been a thing in the first place. And I'm confused because it sounds like there is an issue with drugs in that area. You would think they would know that. Right. Like, that's not a surprise. That's frustrating. Yep. And actually, it is very frustrating to me, so I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a minute. Just because you smoke weed or do drugs doesn't mean you are somehow lesser of a person and don't deserve to have people out there searching for you. Yeah. yeah. It does not and should not diminish your value as a human life. There are still a ton of people who would disagree with me and think otherwise, and quite frankly, it's disgusting. Like, absolutely disgusting. 49% of the adult population in the U.S. has used marijuana. It is now more commonly used than cigarettes. Think about that for a second. Hmm. Would you ever not want to find someone because they smoked cigarettes? It is absolutely asinine. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to calm back down now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Preach, girl. Thanks. Again, I know I'm in Texas in this story. It's a little bit more of a conservative area, but it's 2020, and he was a young college kid who, in my opinion, disappeared under suspicious circumstances. Yeah, right. The kicker to me is that it's 2020. Yes. My brain keeps telling me this happened in the 80s or the early 90s. Just nope based on the reaction but no this is very recent very and, recent and to colby's point just because someone has any kind of um preference or vice or is a certain way there you should look for everyone right yes <laughs> you should investigate and i know that resources are limited but that was not the case here this is it, it's just frustrating i guess is the word i keep coming back to well, even if they are limited we learn from going through carrie farver's case that if somebody disappears under suspicious circumstances they're supposed to investigate it right right what could be more suspicious than this young guy getting into a car accident in an area he has no business in being in his clothing and all of his earthly possessions being just thrown yeah. all over the road and the car is empty and there's no trace of him how is that not suspicious exactly it, they think he smoked a joint and pulled a will Farrell in old school and he just went streaking <laughs> just went, go and streaking and and that's it case closed that's it done marina solved it <laughs> jason's family have continued to remain very active in the media jason's father in particular is a huge advocate for finding his son in addition to physically searching for him i've seen him interviewed by numerous different news outlets and he was also on the episode of disappeared that i watched I I really can't imagine the pain that he and his family feel day after day, not knowing what happened. And my heart really goes out to them. Yeah. There's always been a reward for information, but they've done some fundraising and they were, I think, somewhat more recently able to double, to double it to $20,000. Um, so there's a $20,000 reward available for anyone that has information leading to finding Jason. 
there have been a handful of false alarms over the years. As Ugh. recent as July of 2022, a young man who I would say bared a striking resemblance to Jason was found unconscious in New York City. <gasps> And the NYPD posted photos of this person in the hospital, hoping that someone would recognize him. And a lot of people thought it was Jason Landry. Oh, oh, wow. Even Jason's family admitted that it looked a lot like him. But what started as a temporary blip of hope quickly faded, and it was confirmed that he was, in fact, not Jason Landry. This lends credibility to the theory about it being dangerous people who, you know, he crossed paths with. Because... These people are so scared. It seems like somebody has information about mm. his whereabouts. They're so scared they won't give it up to claim a, a large reward. That And that is part of the reason why yeah. there's a reward. Their parents right. were hoping that, or his parents was hoping that if the reward was enough money, maybe it could buy somebody peace of mind. Maybe it could get them out of the area that they're afraid to be in and right. give the information, but nothing so far. Huh. Um, I'm surprised if it's that well known in that town that they that someone wouldn't give an anonymous tip i know that the letter was sent to abel right abel. yep abel but you would think you could give an anonymous tip without fearing repercussions and i think some people did in the town but i i don't know that anybody's been more willing to do anything yeah. other than just calling in that tip line i do have one last grim fact for you all now, this one's very grim oh, and man. not okay. Um, yeah. At one point, somebody actually called Kent and told him that Jason had been killed and put through a wood chipper, just like on Fargo, no. or in our case, just like Hella Crafts. Oh, that's messed up. That's awful. Absolutely. I don't like. Why would you ever do that to somebody? I don't like, know. what? What could you possibly get out of doing that? That would make it worth it. Like, they're just some that's really horrible awful. people. You're a sociopath. So bad. Anyway. Um, what do I think happened here? Because I like to close all of my unsolves with what I think happened. And again, this is my opinion based on my research. I gotta be honest, guys. I'm not entirely sure what to believe. Mm -hmm. I know that people have called in tips and there was that letter that I read the excerpt from. But as far as I can tell, no actual evidence has been produced to support those claims. I do know that I do not think Jason intentionally crashed his car and wandered off into the woods to start a new life. I think his recent search history was probably unrelated to what happened that night, or at least initially. I don't, I can't see a scenario where the plan would have been Agreed. for somebody who doesn't make plans would have been to go crash his car and then just wander into the wood. It just, it just seems like, just seems odd to me that that would be it. Yeah. There was nothing in his search history about running away or wanting to start over or not being found. It was really more about going on, like I sort of jokingly said, like a vision quest in the yeah. woods, like personal quest for improvement and trying to reach self-actualization. It wasn't anything that like seemed intentionally dangerous that he was setting out to do. I think the most likely explanation is that he may have still been under the influence of something, but thought he was fine to drive mm -hmm. and was fine until he dropped his phone and missed his turn. Mm -hmm. Once he was confident he was not going the right way, the dirt road would have been a giveaway. I think he started looking for his phone and drifted off the road and got into the accident. I, there wasn't, when Jason's dad was filming the road the next day, there wasn't tire tracks that made it look like somebody abruptly stopped or swerved to try to avoid like an animal that was in the road. It was off of a curve and it almost looked like somebody was not paying attention mm -hmm. and just drifted off the road. And when they tried to overcorrect, they were already on the grass and then mm -hmm. the car kind of spun out. With no front airbag deploying and the vehicle not being equipped with side impact airbags, I think he hit his head and he might have been knocked out for a brief period of time. 
The thing that really gets me, though, is how did his backpack make it out of the car? The clothing would have been on him, but he wouldn't have been wearing the bag while he was driving. He also grabbed his water cup and toiletry bag. Both are visible in his dad's video from the scene and the body cam footage. So I can see the bag, the toiletry bag, and the water cup very clearly in the police body cam. It's so weird. Again, these are not things he would have been wearing. So somehow, Jason had the presence of mind to take these things out of the car with him, but then stripped all of his clothes off and left the bags behind. Something just feels very wrong to me about that particular piece of information in this case. And I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. The police knew from the start that Jason wasn't wearing any clothes, so I really think it was a mistake on their part not to search further for him on the night of the crash. And like I said, it could have even waited until the sun came up the next morning, but... I personally feel because of this mistake, there are some things that we're never going to have the opportunity to know. Mm -hmm. My mind goes to the fact that sometimes people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and maybe Jason Landry was one of them. I don't think that what happened to him was through any fault of his own. I don't think Jason was involved with any questionable characters. Again, there's nothing to support that he was involved in any kind of drug trafficking or dealing like the police had initially speculated. He just had some stuff for personal use. He was going home from college and just wanted to bring his stuff home with him like Mm -hmm. it it wasn't anything that really read overly nefarious anyone with information about his disappearance can call the caldwell county sheriff's office at 512-398-6777 or investigator abel pena with with pm investigations by phone at 210-954-1476 or by email at pminvestigations9221 at gmail.com and we'll post all of that in Mm -hmm. the show notes but Um, I just wanted to read it through for everyone just so you guys know that there are ways that you can get in touch with the authorities, be it anonymous or not anonymous. Um, You can call in information. Yeah. Yeah. I I think my theory is probably pretty similar to yours. Um, I feel bad making this guess, but I think that um, I I think there was something in the weed that he was smoking, what it sounds like all week. And I think it probably wasn't enough to really raise his flags but maybe he was just like having a little too much i'm sure he was also stressed about finals and all that stuff a lot going on but i think that that final phone call with jack is really concerning um i think you're right that he he probably thought he was fine but went driving i think that the theory that he dropped his phone and was looking for it and got distracted and didn't notice because it's just as bumpy as the other road maybe whatever and and swerved I think all that's I agree with all that the part where I I'm unclear is while I think it's very strange that he took his backpack out and all his belongings and certainly that he stripped naked I also think like if he really wasn't fine and he really was on something and maybe he had been enjoying a joint on the way on a dark nice quiet highway i can see that happening even though it's december but still um maybe by the time he crashed he wasn't and probably hit his head wasn't in his right mind i think he maybe thought maybe all those thoughts of going out into yep. the woods came into his mind he's not thinking about what time it is and what how cold it is um and maybe he wandered off and i i think sadly he probably passed away from the the conditions um and i know this is going to sound like a joke but i actually believe the wild boar theory that or they just yeah. weren't able to find his body but um you know that that's kind of just from and as you said this is just from the information you've presented to us and what we know i think you're also spot on that there's just going to be stuff we never know so um but yeah it's it's perplexing and frustrating yeah. who knows 
what they would have found had they searched immediately. Um, maybe they just would have found him <laughs> huddling around yes. a, of trying to make a fire. You know, I say that lightheartedly, but maybe that really could have been it because yep. really heartbreakingly, if my theory of events after the crash is correct, I mean, he probably came down off the drugs and realized his predicament. Yep. And it was, you know, at that point, he doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have any clothes, any any means to, to keep himself warm. So I think whatever happened, it's an absolute tragedy. Um, and, and very heartbreaking. The, the one thing that, again, is a little weird about the it was hypothermia theory, again, right, because he, he took his clothes off. That's just a weird thing to happen. So if you assume that he took his clothes off because of the paradoxical undressing, from what I was reading, when that happens, like, death is imminent. Right. Like, you right. are very close to it. So in my mm. opinion, if that's what happened... Where was Jason's body? Because it, it should right. have been That's in that area. Yeah. He, I don't think he would have been able to get very far. And yes, the authorities weren't really searching very hard and it was pitch black out. But his dad was there when it was light. And I just don't I like... Agree. How would he have gotten far enough away that yeah. somebody wouldn't have seen him if that's what was really happening? But you know, what? what's the alternative to why his clothes were off in the middle of the road? Like somebody else put them there or right. he was pulling a like plays with squirrels from Boy Meets World <laughs> back in the day where yeah. he's like, I must just go into nature. So I actually think that's, that's this, that's what happened is yeah. I think that he was in some really, really mind altering drugs. And I think if my theory is right, that he was doing these all week and that's part of you know what he was smoking maybe he was a little bit better when mm -hmm. he left and then again maybe he had another joint when he was driving and that is what you know that makes perfect sense why he would crash um and then maybe he was just really really not in in the right yeah. mind place and that was the of course that's not logical because we're not on mind-altering drugs well that made me think of something marina has said to us before that you cannot use logic to get out of a situation that you did not use logic to get into yep. mm -hmm. and i think that's what we're trying I think to so do too right i think and it's sad because i'm completely with his parents that that's not who he was that does not right. create his character that's not certainly not grounds not to search for him no absolutely not but it it may have been an unfortunate and as i said completely tragic circumstance but but as you said we don't we'll never know we'll no. never know these facts which is so much worse for the family in in my mind there's only three ways this could have gone either he wandered off and died and animals ate him somebody else was involved yep yeah. and they have buried his body somewhere the third option is far less likely, but I was thinking about him if he hit his head really hard. I wonder if he was disoriented and had amnesia and now he's living mm. in Belize. Oh, it's not. I mean, it's super far-fetched, but it's also yeah. like we don't know anything and we don't have enough information to disprove right. any of that. I think the lack of resources is really what what challenges the idea that he's maybe alive right well you know. there he, was that guy though who was just recently found true. in connecticut and he, i mean he was found because he passed away but he was missing from new york for like 15 years and i'm pretty sure he just carried out his life here under a different name in connecticut and they only knew who he was after he passed away i didn't huh. even hear about that that's I crazy in, yeah. super recent i don't remember any of the other facts but when i was reading through the just the case notes with producer mike he pointed that out and he was like oh huh. well, just like what happened recently huh. 
that was an adult man. So he maybe was um, better situated to kind of just go off on his own and right. restart his life. I don't think Jason, who worked part-time at Jimmy John's, um, had the financial resources to go start over somewhere else. No, but I mean, there are certainly people that that go with absolutely nothing, not even two coins to rub together. Mm and create like beg for work and like dollar by dollar yeah i yeah. mean it's possible and that's that's why unsolved drives me insane because you just do not know and that's why my heart breaks for the family mm-hmm. because any of these possibilities are terrible for them i'm sure yeah. most terrible of course is the idea that he has passed away mm-hmm. but it would be really heartbreaking to think he's just off you right. know they they either way just they're not, not coming back yeah right. oh man what a case so if you guys are loving Grimm, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to us. If you could leave us a written review, pretty please. We read them all. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for case photos and to stay current on the latest episodes. Want to send us a case suggestion or just say hi? Send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Last and certainly not least, if you are so inclined, check us out on Patreon and you can find us there by searching Grim colon a true crime podcast. We hope you listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim.